0: I can't wait to hear from you. The Living Church. Catholic. Evangelical. Ecumenical. All right, Living Church Podcast listeners, I'm going to say it, and then I'm going to leave room for you to respond. Ready? He is risen. Good job. I am delighted to imagine all the different responses that just came to me from across the church. We have subscribers who are, of course, uh, Episcopalians, Anglicans, sprinkling of different kinds of Protestants, Catholics, some Orthodox folks, some Pentecostal folks. So if you didn't know what to say in that silence, don't worry one bit. A bunch of people just said it for you. And yes, he is risen indeed. Today, we've got an Easter gift for you. Every so often, we have an episode of the podcast we call Classic Texts. Some of the voices you'll hear today, you'll probably recognize. We'll do an identity reveal at the very end of the show so you can see how good your guesses were. Our very warm thanks to our guest readers, of course. One final note is that our last reading is called Recognizing You, a poem by Amy Scott Robinson and Richard Lyall. It was written originally for liturgical use in a parish to be an aid in worship and meditation on the Easter story. And that's our hope for this whole reading today, that it might usher you more deeply into the presence of the one who comes and seeks us out in the garden where we weep, in all our locked rooms. May you find him. May he find you. May the hope of the resurrection touch you and give you joy in these readings today.
1: I'm reading from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis. Aslan has been tied to the stone table, and the witch is about to kill him. Then, just before she gave the blow, she stooped down and said, Fool, did you think that by all this you would save the human traitor? Now I will kill you instead of him, as our pact was, and so the deep magic will be appeased. But when you are dead, what will prevent me from killing him as well? Understand that you have given me Narnia forever. You have lost your own life, and you have not saved his. In that knowledge, despair and die. The children did not see the actual moment of the killing. They couldn't bear to look and had covered their eyes. As soon as the wood was silent again and empty, Susan and Lucy crept out onto the open hilltop. They could see the shape of the lion lying dead in his bonds. And down they both knelt in the wet grass and kissed his cold face and stroked his beautiful fur and cried till they could cry no more. At last Lucy said, I can't bear to look at that horrible muzzle. I wonder, could we take it off? So they tried. And after a lot of working at it, they succeeded. And when they saw his face without it, they burst out crying again and kissed it and wiped away the blood and the foam as well as they could and it was all more lonely and hopeless and horrid than I know how to describe. I wonder could we untie him as well, said Susan. But the enemies, out of pure spitefulness, had drawn the cords so tight that the girls could make nothing of the knots. I hope no one who reads this book has been quite as miserable as Susan and Lucy were that night. But if you have been, if you've been up all night and cried till you have no more tears left in you, you will know that there comes in the end a sort of quietness. You feel as if nothing was ever going to happen again. At last, Lucy noticed two things. One was that the sky on the east side of the hill was a little less dark than it had been an hour ago. The other was some tiny movement going on in the grass. Ugh, said Susan, how beastly. they are horrid little mice crawling over him. Wait, said Lucy. Can you see what they're doing? I do believe, said Susan, but how queer they're nibbling away at the cords. That's what I thought, said Lucy. I think they're friendly mice. It was quite definitely lighter by now. They could see the mice nibbling away dozens and dozens, even hundreds of little field mice. And at last, one by one, the ropes were all gnawed through. Aslan looked more like himself without them. Every moment his dead face looked nobler as the light grew and they could see it better. In the wood behind them, a bird gave a chuckling sound. And as they stood for a moment, looking out towards the sea in Care Paravel, the red turned to gold, and up came the edge of the sun. At that moment, they heard from behind them a loud noise, a great cracking, deafening noise, as if a giant had broken a giant's plate. What's that? said Lucy, clutching Susan's arm. I-, I feel afraid to turn around, said Susan. Something awful is happening. They're doing something worse to him, said Lucy. Come on. And she turned, pulling Susan round with her. The rising of the sun had made everything look so different, and they saw the stone table was broken into two pieces by a great crack that ran down it from end to end. And there was no Aslan, Oh, it's too bad, sobbed Lucy. They might have left the body alone. Who's done it, cried Susan. What does it mean? Is it magic? Yes, said a great voice behind their backs. It is more magic. They looked round. There, shining in the sunrise, larger than they had seen him before, shaking his mane, stood Aslan himself. Oh, Aslan, cried both the children, almost as much frightened as they were glad. Aren't you dead then, dear Aslan, said Lucy. You're not a, not a... Susan couldn't bring herself to say the word ghost. Aslan stooped his golden head and licked her forehead. The warmth of his breath, and a rich sort of smell that seemed to hang about his hair, came all over her. Do I look it, he said. Oh, you're real, you're real. Oh, Aslan, cried Lucy. But what does it all mean, asked Susan. It means, said Aslan, that though the witch knew the deep magic, there is a magic deeper still which she did not know. Her knowledge goes back only to the dawn of time. But if she could have looked a little further back, into the stillness and the darkness before time dawned, she would have read there a different incantation. She would have known that when a willing victim, who had committed no treachery, was killed in a traitor's stead, the table would crack, and death itself would start working backwards. And now, oh children, said the lion, I feel my strength coming back to me. Oh children, catch me if you can.
2: Easter by George Herbert. Rise, heart, thy Lord is risen. Sing his praise without delays, who takes thee by the hand, that thou likewise with him mayst rise. That, as his death calcined thee to dust, his life may make thee gold and much more just. Awake, my lute, and struggle for thy part with all thy art. The cross taught all would to resound his name who bore the same. His stretched sinews taught all strings What key is best to celebrate this most high day. Consort both heart and lute, And twist a song pleasant and long, Or, since all music is but three parts, Vied and multiplied, O let thy blessed spirit bear apart, and make up our defects with his sweet art. I got me flowers to strew thy way, I got me boughs off many a tree, but thou wast up by break of day, and brought thy sweets along with thee. The sun arising in the east, though he give light and the east perfume, if they should offer to contest with thy arising, they presume. Can there be any day but this? Though many suns to shine endeavour, We count three hundred, but we miss. There is but one, and that one, ever.
3: Come forth by Wendell Berry. I dreamed of my father when he was old. We went to see some horses in a field. They were sorrels, as red almost as blood, a light gold on their shoulders and haunches. Though they came to us all a tremble with curiosity and snorty with caution, they had never known bridle or harness. My father walked among them admiring, for he was a knower of horses and these were fine. He leaned on a cane and dragged his feet along the ground in hurried little steps so that I called to him to take care, take care, as the horses stamped and frolicked around him. But while I warned, he seized the mane of the nearest one. It'll be all right, he said. And then from his broken stance He leapt astride and sat lithe and straight and strong in the sun's unshadowed excellence. An Altogether Different Language by Anne Porter. There was a church in Umbria, Little portion, already old 800 years ago. It was abandoned and in disrepair, but it was called St. Mary of the Angels, for it was known to be the haunt of angels. Often at night, the country people could hear them singing there. What was it like to listen to the angels, to hear those mountain fresh, those simple voices poured out on the bare stones of little portion in hymns of joy? No one has told us. Perhaps it needs another language that we still have to learn an altogether different language. That nature is a Heraclitan fire and of the comfort of the resurrection. Cloud puffball, torn tufts, tossed pillows flaunt forth then Chevy on an air-built thoroughfare. Heaven roisterers, in gay gangs they throng, they glitter in marches. Down rough cast, down dazzling whitewash, wherever an elm arches, shiv lights and shadow tackle and long lashes, lace, lance, and pear. Delightfully, the bright wind boisterous ropes, wrestles, beats earth bare of yester tempest creases. In pool and rut peel parches, squandering ooze to squeeze dough, crust, dust, stanches, starches. Squadron masks and man-marks Treadmire toil there, foot-fretted in it. Million-fueled, nature's bonfire burns on. But quench her bonniest, dearest to her, Her clearest, selved spark Man, how fast his fire dint, his mark on mind is gone. Both are in an unfathomable. All is in an enormous dark drown. Oh, pity and indignation. man shape that shone sheer off, disseveral, a star, death blots black out. Nor mark is any of him at all so stark, but vastness blurs and time beats level. Enough. The resurrection, a heart's clarion, Away grief's grasping joyless days, dejection across my foundering deck shone a beacon, an eternal beam. Flesh fade and mortal trash fall to the residuary worm. World's wildfire. Leave but ash. In a flash, at a trumpet crash, I am at once what Christ is, since he was what I am. And this jack, joke, poor potsherd, patch, matchwood, immortal diamond is immortal. Diamond.
0: Getting an Easter basket from my parents at my age, really not embarrassing. Once they realize that I'm more into like Ferrero Rocher, not so much into jelly beans, we have had a pretty good understanding. This is part of our celebration of Easter, even if somewhat ironically, and it's one of the things that we share as a family. Today, I want to encourage you to think about your family of faith at Easter time, especially in the Anglican Communion, and consider an Easter gift to the Living Church. We are a non-profit ministry. We rely on donations to continue bringing irenic and incisive journalism, theology, book and art reviews, cultural analysis, and learning and relationship-building opportunities for clergy and lay leaders in a uniquely Catholic, evangelical, and ecumenical way. To support what we do, you can go to livingchurch.org forward slash donate and give now, or learn about creative giving options, like gifts of stock and bequests. We're not picky about what you decide to put in our Easter basket, and we're so grateful to you for considering a gift. Again, that's livingchurch.org forward slash donate, or just click the link in the show notes.
4: From the words of Archbishop Desmond Tutu in his book, No Future Without Forgiveness, the story of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in South Africa. The Archbishop says Theology helped us in the Truth and Reconciliation Commission to recognize that we inhabit a moral universe, that good and evil are real and that they matter. They are not just things of indifference. This is a moral universe, which means that despite all the evidence that seems to be to the contrary, there is no way that evil and injustice and oppression and lies can have the last word. For us who are Christians, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is proof positive That love is stronger than hate, that life is stronger than death, that light is stronger than darkness, that laughter and joy and compassion and gentleness and truth, all these are much stronger than their ghastly counterparts.
5: reading from a sermon of Lancelot Andrews on Easter Day, 1622. The risen Christ gave Mary Magdalene a commission. Go is her mission and tell my brethren is her commission. A commission to publish the first news of his rising and as it falls out of his ascending too. The fathers say that by this word she was by Christ made an apostle. Nay, an apostle to the apostles themselves. An apostle for what lacks she? Sent first immediately from Christ himself. And what is an apostle but so? Secondly, sent to declare and make known. And last, what was she to make known? Christ's rising and ascending. And what are they but the gospel? Yea, the very gospel of the gospel. This day with Christ's rising begins the gospel, not before. Crucified, dead and buried, no good news, no gospel in themselves. The first gospel of all is the gospel of this day. And the gospel of this day is this Mary Magdalene's gospel, the prime gospel of all before any of the other four, that Christ is risen and upon his ascending and she the first that ever brought these glad tidings. At her hands the apostles themselves received it first, and from them we all. Which, as it was a special honour, and wheresoever this gospel is preached shall be told for a memorial of her. So it was with all, not without some kind of reproaching to them, to the apostles, for sitting at home so drooping in a corner that Christ not finding any of them was fain to seek him a new apostle, and finding her where he should have found them and did not, to send by the hand of her that he first found at the sepulchre's side and to make himself a new apostle, and send her to them, to enter them as it were, and catechise them in two articles of the Christian faith, the resurrection and the ascension of Christ. To Mary Magdalene, they and we both owe them first notice of them.
6: My first poem is from the end of the 15th century, Hymn of the Resurrection by the Scottish poet William Dunbar. Dun is a battle on the dragon black, our champion Christ confounded as his force. The gates of hell are broken with a crack. The sign triumphal raised is of the cross. The devils tremble with a hideous voice. The souls are borrowed and to bliss can go. Christ with his blood our ransom does induce. Serex et dominus de sepulchre. Don is the deadly dragon, Lucifer. The cruel serpent with the mortal sting, the old keen tiger with his teeth ajar, who in a wait has lain for us so long, thinking to grip us in his claws so strong. The merciful Lord would not that it were so. He made him put a fail him of that fang, Serexit Dominus does sepulchre. He for our sake that suffered to be slain and like a lamb in sacrifice of dight, is like a lion risen up again, and as a giant raising him on height. Sprung is aurora, radius and bright, aloft is gone the glorious Apollo, the blissful day departed from the night. Serexit Dominus De Sepulchre. The foe is chased. The battle is done cease, the prison broken, jailers fleeed and shamed. The war is gone, confirmed is the peace, the fetters loosen and the dungeon tin the ransom made, the prisoners redeem it. The field is won, or common as the foe, despoiled of the treasure that he gained. Selects so it, Dominus, they sepulchral.
7: Jesus in the garden, newly risen from the dead, who stood by weeping Mary, and who heard the words she said, as if you were the gardener, till at last your shepherd's voice called her Mary, and with one word gave her reason to rejoice. Jesus in the garden, ever new but still the same, Help me recognize you in the speaking of my name. Jesus in the garden, ever new but still the same, Help me recognize you in the speaking of my name. Jesus on the journey fellow traveler on the road who met two sad disciples walking with them as you showed the meaning of the scriptures that predicted you would rise. But only when you blessed the meal could they believe their eyes. Jesus on the journey, meet me where my hopes have fled. Help me recognize you in the breaking of the bread. Jesus on the journey, meet me where my hopes have fled. Help me recognize you in the breaking of the bread. Jesus in the locked room, breaking through despair and doubt. Who comforted your friends when they had shut the whole world out? Who came again for Thomas and revealed your hands and side so that he could touch and know you as alive though you had died? Jesus in the locked room, breaking through our self built bars. Help me recognize you in the touching of your scars. Jesus in the locked room, breaking through our self-built bars. Help me recognize you in the touching of your scars. Jesus on the shoreline, cooking breakfast for your friends who offered guilty Peter one more chance to make amends, who filled a net with fish for him and helped him to recall the first catch that convicted him to respond to your first call. Jesus on the shoreline, know my best, forgive my worst. Help me recognize you in the way I met you first. Jesus on the shoreline, know my best, forgive my worst. Help me recognize you in the way I met you first.
0: Thanks for tuning in to the Living Church Podcast. A special thanks again to our guests today, Heather Cross, the Rev. Dr. Malcolm Geit, the Rev. Dr. Catherine Sonderregger, Presiding Bishop Michael Curry, Dr. Jane Williams, Bishop Rowan Williams, and Mother Samira Page. We also want to thank the C.S. Lewis Company Limited for their permission to read an excerpt from the Chronicles of Narnia on this podcast. You can find a list of our guests and all their readings in our show notes. You can also find a link to give to The Living Church so we can keep making this podcast. We are always grateful for your support. Tune in in a couple of weeks for a podcast episode on ancient Christianity, British politics, walking tours in Wales, and why maybe there's no such thing as Celtic Christianity. Have a very happy Easter and every blessing from us here at The Living Church. As always, I'm Amber Noel, your host, and it's been good to be with you. Peace.